I'm Dr. Pauline Hoffman. I'm your podcast hostess. I'm joined by my producer, Mr. Bryce Murphy. Hello, everyone. Bryce also wrote and recorded the podcast music. This podcast is for the data nerd and the data nervous. All are welcome. Welcome back to our listeners. This week's topic and next week's topic are two-part series on the great resignation. And we welcome my colleague and former student, Megan Wagner. Welcome, Megan. Hi, Dr. Hoffman. How are you? I'm doing well. And you can just call me Pauline. The podcast isn't that formal. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for that. Credits due. So, you know. (laughs) You're welcome back every day of the week for that. Uh, Now, Megan is the proprietor of Marketing Coach Megan. She was one of our stellar students in the Integrated Marketing Communication Program just a few years ago. And we decided to go with this subject this week because the two of us did an incredibly successful clubhouse event on Friday about the Great Resignation. And today we're recording this podcast actually on Labor Day. So it's a fitting day to talk about the Great Resignation coming on the heels of our very successful clubhouse event. So now, before we go into that, I will say, I think we need to talk about what the Great Resignation is. So the Great Resignation is an expression that was first coined in 2019 by Anthony Klotz, who's an associate professor in the Mays School of Management at Texas A&M University, and it refers to a mass voluntary exodus from the workforce. And Megan and I, when we were talking about this, thought it might be useful if we actually introduced ourselves in a way that relates to some of the data that we have on this topic. So I'll let Megan introduce herself, but I'll tell you a little bit more about me too. Those of you who've listened to the podcast, all 3 million of you, because we have so many listeners, that's how many people showed up for our clubhouse. I'm the data doyen. I also have the Tippy Homestead, which is my homestead and Bryce has been there. Only good reviews from the homestead. homestead. Wild Mountain Botanicals, which is appeals to my inner chemist, my all natural body care company, and then my PW Hoffman site. I'm also child-free by choice, which will come into play when we talk about some of those data. I'm a professor who taught online at home before the pandemic, so shifting gears during the pandemic was no problem. My husband did lose two jobs during COVID, but because he's an engineer, he was sought after, so he recovered pretty quickly. I live in my home, live on my own in my house rurally. I'm an introvert, which is, again, when the pandemic hit, was almost, you know, ready-made for me. And while being a professor is my dream job, so is the podcast and blog. So I did start another dream job during the pandemic. And I'm describing myself like this, uh, it'll become clear once you start listening to some of the data. But Megan, if you'd like to introduce yourself too, and as I mentioned, Megan, former student, colleague now, she teaches as an adjunct and has her own business. And I should mention, I don't know if you want me to promote this, Megan, the author of the book, Fighting Fired with Fire, because I think the two of us have both been in situations where we've been, how shall we phrase it, forced out of positions. Well, I will say, Pauline, that um, it has been exactly 10 years since I have graduated from the IMC program, which that does not even seem possible. Like, I can't believe it's been a decade already. Wow. No, uh, it does yeah. not. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, um, I, would, yeah. I would not have guessed that. Really? <laughs> That's why we keep Bryce. He's so she just, fabulous. She just, met, she just graduated a couple of years ago. Okay. So yeah, I'm a senior <laughs> now. 
yes oh you're just a couple years older than me wow 10 years oh well oh i appreciate that um (laughs) uh, well hi everyone my name is uh, megan wagner i am a marketing strategist and brand coach along with serving as an adjunct professor at saint bonaventure university in the imc soon to be nmcom department um and when we talk about the pandemic and about all of the different changes that have happened in um, in our lives and in our careers. Um, I actually, my business took a big, hard turn, or I hate using the word pivot because that's just, I I think of Ross from friends every time I hear that word. So it's like, I like to not overuse that word, but, um, my, my business is definitely in transition mode right now, which is a good thing because what I was finding is that the marketing work I was doing before wasn't lighting me up. It wasn't fulfilling me and it wasn't making me happy. So really the, the work that I was doing kind of fell away. And so now it's, it's slowly, you know, being replaced with more coaching work, which I really, really enjoy. Um, and so that's kind of how my business has shifted. Uh, in the last year or so. Um, I'm very fortunate. My husband uh, works in Major League Baseball. And so even though baseball was shut down, uh, you know, luckily that didn't have a lot of implications on us financially, which was a blessing. Um, although, you know, with with that um, being said, you know, last year when baseball started up, we had to be separated for about three months. Uh, he works up in Canada, so I wasn't able to come with him. And that was that was difficult for a multitude of reasons. Uh, and then this year, his job kind of shifted a, a bit. And uh, but now all is back to normal, I think. Uh, so we are happily up in Toronto for the rest of the baseball season. So um, it's been a roller coaster, um, just the, with a lot of uncertainty, a lot of unknowns, because we we crafted a life that brought us to uh, the Tampa Bay area permanently. And that's our permanent home. Uh, and then we were going to have this Tampa Bay slash Toronto life. And that certainly was incredibly disrupted. But again, hopefully things are back to normal. Um, We're up here for another month and looking forward to our time here. So with that, um, with the shift in my business, I was able to do a lot of reflecting on what I wanted my business to become. Because again, a lot of that done for you client work that I was doing just wasn't fulfilling. I was dreading. I just wasn't, I didn't love it. And you know, I, um, I had a colleague one time I was kind of like venting to, uh, several years ago and I'll never forget. She told me, Megan, quit doing stuff. You hate just quit doing stuff. You hate, why are you doing it? Yeah. That really forced me to think long and hard about this business that I wanted to, to, you know, transition. And now I feel like I'm happier and it actually, inspired me to create my signature coaching program, uh, the Heart-Based Branding Academy. And I'm actually starting uh, my first round of students this week, and I'm really excited about it. So um, you can learn more at heartbasedbrandingacademy.com. So I'm really excited. And it's it's a very um, uncomfortable time, but it's also a very exciting time for me. Um, And so, yeah, that's a little bit about me. I'm so glad that you phrased things that way because the two of us have, and okay, I won't use the word pivot, we've shifted and we're still doing some of the things that we have been doing all along, but we're trying to think about, okay, what is it that truly makes us happy? And I wonder too, and I'll have to look at some of the data. I don't have data specific to this. I wonder if some of it has to do with age to a point. We had a podcast a few weeks ago in which we were trying to find 
um, Bryce's future for him because he's a senior in college now yeah. and he's still trying to figure out what it is he wants to do. And I said, oh my gosh, if we could go back to our senior years, our undergraduate senior years, Megan, I don't know about you, but did you know hundred percent what you were going to do? And are you even doing it now or have you shifted a bit? Oh my gosh. That's so funny. I was just telling someone the story the other day. Um, I, I did my undergrad at Indiana state university in Terre Haute, Indiana, where, uh, the area where I'm originally from. And, um, it's funny because people usually change their majors, but I kept adding to mine. I don't know why <laughs> I just like, I had no idea why I did it, but so I started out. Um, so my, the degree I ended up with was a double major in business administration and marketing. So yes, I am doing what I set out for when I was, you know, 22 years old. Um, and then I have these two minors that I don't even, I don't, I think they're very antiquated now. It was like management information systems and quality and decision systems. I have no idea what that means, but it's like, I don't either. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> it's like, I'll just take a couple more classes and I'll get these two minors. Like, okay, great. Uh, so, so yeah, you know, I, I do think back to my 22 year old self and, and, you know, certainly I, I enjoy marketing. Um, I've learned a lot. Uh, in between, you know, 2004 and now, and um, it's it's just it's been quite a journey. And I and pa Pauline, I loved what you said about age, and just having this. You get, to, I think you do. You get to a certain age. For me, it was like in my mid 30s, and I felt like everything just kind of collapsed in a way. <laughs> like yeah. like some of the some of the hardest years for me were from 35 to like 39, and. I think that's when you realize that what the heck have I been doing isn't working anymore. What I've been trying to do to climb this corporate ladder, to do things that people expect me to do, to, you know, to run my business the way others expect me to run it and offer things that others expect me to run it isn't working anymore. And so that's when finally, you know, finally with the pandemic, like I said, a lot of my clients kind of fell away, but it was, it was really a blessing in disguise because it forced me to really think like, Megan, this isn't working anymore. Let's figure out what does work and move forward. And, and so you wake up every morning excited to help people. And like, I mean, I woke up this morning and I was like, I get to do a podcast today. This is awesome. You know, <laughs> like, do the stuff you love doing. I woke up and said the same thing. <laughs> um, and just, so now let's get into data because we, this is a data doyen podcast. So we have to talk about data. So now while the term the great resignation was coined in 2019, the pandemic has no doubt exacerbated the exodus of folks from the workforce. And before we talk about the why, essentially, which is going to be, I believe, part two of the podcast, let's talk about some of the data that we have. So the U.S. Department of Labor noted that in April, May, and June of this year, 11.5 million workers quit their jobs, not were fired, they quit their jobs. Now, some of that could be they quit some could be retirement. They just, they left their jobs. A record 4 million quit their jobs in April, twice the number who quit in April of last year, and 3.9 million quit in June. Now, LinkedIn and Microsoft both have conducted surveys related to the Great Resignation, as has the Gallup uh, organization. Now, the Gallup organization, and I will post a lot of these graphics, you know, 
those of you who listen, I enjoy posting graphics and the links to the associated websites on my own website, datadoyen.com. So if you take a look at some of the data from Gallup, which is a respected organization, because Megan, one of the things we do on the podcast too is try to encourage people to choose uh, information sources that are reliable and good, you know, instead of, you know, maybe the guy who's blogging naked in his basement. So we want to make sure that people are using appropriate resources and, and sources. So apparently, um, if, we, if women were disproportionately affected than men, and there are many reasons for that, we could talk about that in a second, but for the most part, more women have left the workforce than men compared with the same time last year. So we're comparing it to just last year, which would have been uh, just before the pandemic started. And when you take a look at the number of women who have children versus those who don't have children, the number of women who have children left the workforce more than women who have children. And, you know, it's believed that it's because, you know, guess what, you have to take care of children. It turns out that's what they need you to do. Um, said the person who's child free. Um, now, what I find interesting, and we can, and I'll, I'll give you my take on it with the, with the caveat, which makes me giggle. When you take a look at men with children, uh, 90, in February of 2020, nearly 94% of men with children were working, whereas men with no children, that number is less. So I kind of, and if we take a look at uh, January 2021, you still had about 93% of men with children were working, which is still more than the men with no children. So I kind of well, joke that. Well, that probably also makes sense because they, got, they have to work because they have children that they got to provide for. That's probably the answer. That this is the one bad. I like to say, though. <laughs> I, if I had children, I wouldn't want to be home. So, I mean, I have to think that there are some men who are thinking, get me out of this house. But no, Bryce is probably correct. It that probably also has. might be a factor. <laughs> I think Bryce is more correct than I am. That's said the woman who, I don't have children because I don't particularly care for them. Taking a look at race, Black women, particularly Hispanic and Asian women, were also affected more than uh, black, Hispanic, and Asian men. So I have, and that's from the Pew Research Center, and Pew is another really, really good outlet. So if you take a look at those data that I'll have with the graphics, uh, you'll be able to see the disproportionate effects that it's had on women, particularly women of color. Now, why is that? If you think about what some of the jobs women did, or women do do, that were really impacted by the pandemic. So for example, personal care and service. So people who are taking care of you, you know, doing your hair or uh, other personal care items or food and food service, hospitality. You've got a lot of women predominantly and women of color who are working in these fields. And when that those industries essentially shut down or really pared back, that affected women in the workforce. Whereas men, their occupations predominantly weren't as affected as some of the women. Yeah, um, I, it's really not that surprising, unfortunately, um, because we know even before the pandemic, you know, women are, are the primary caretakers. Not only are they taking care of their children, but they may have aging parents. So they, they're really serving these dual roles. Um when you factor in, you know, uh, rising childcare costs and um, and things like that, it's 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 really not incredibly surprising. Um, I know you mentioned about the the restaurant industry, the hospitality industry. Um, I know my brother-in-law uh, works in the um, uh, the hospitality industry, and he was furloughed twice, and he's an executive chef. So when you think about 
you know, the other staff that's needed to run a restaurant. Um, it's, it's really, it's really interesting um, to hear the, that data um, that you talked about. So um, yeah. And again, it's, 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 it's really not that surprising. It's, it's unfortunate, certainly. Um, but, you know, as women, and I think this is probably another podcast for another day, but, you know, women just have um, 80 million hats, not only what their, you know, what their jobs are, you know, in their, in the workplace, but also at home as well. They, they just have to carry this incredible burden and it's really unfortunate. Well, and I also have data. And by the way, I think I need to have your brother come to the homestead and he can cook up a really nice meal. incredible. Because He's I incredible. have a lot of stuff. I've got a lot of stuff on the homestead that could be cooked up uh, yeah. and has been cooked up. Now, I do have data. Again, this is from Gallup that takes a look at why people had to leave. And you've, you've touched on that. If you have children, guess what? You have to take care of the children. You know, and that predominantly falls to women. So mm-hmm. women with children the, between the ages of 25 and 55, because there is a certain point where the kids can kind of take care of themselves, right? They don't, right, I mean, right. you can't leave a five-year-old at home, but maybe your 15-year-old can stay home is my guess. Although I have talked to some parents who've said, I wouldn't let my kids stay home for anything, but you know, that's, that's up to you. Um, and then women just in general with children or not care for children to, in terms of school, as well as daycare and so on. Cause now you had to take over and not just take care of the kids, but you have to Make sure they're on their school Zoom calls or whatever. Oh, they right, the doing. e-learning, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the e-learning. And now you've got to prepare yeah. their, you know, their lunch and their time. Do they have recess? I have no idea what's involved with this. Is this is so outside my bailiwick? But men and women without children, you know, they may have left for personal health reasons, for economic reasons. But for the women with children, it's pretty much the children as well as economic reasons and personal health reasons. I'm a little surprised. Even, you know, you've got some care here for for the elderly folks. So if you're in the sandwich generation, which is, you know, the women who are sandwiched between taking care of their kids and taking care of an elderly relative, a parent or something, you know, I I joke that I'm an open face sandwich because without kids, I do have my mom. But um, uh, yeah, so if we take a look um, at those numbers, they're not as high And I actually expected that there would be more concern for getting or spreading COVID than there is that the the data are showing. But if you have no choice but to work because you need to pay your rent and you need to pay for food and for child, for your children and so on, I suppose, you know, that's a bit different. Those are different reasons than if we take a look before the pandemic, um, more people left the workforce for economic reasons than to worry about necessarily care for their children. And certainly COVID wasn't necessarily a factor. So they weren't thinking about that as much. Uh, So we can also take a look at how the wage earners were affected. So generally speaking, uh, during COVID, and this is from Pew Research, employment fell by more than 10% among the lower wage workers, which we've just touched on many of the industries that are impacted um, that women have left that are lower wage. Middle wage, was impacted high wage not as much so if you were one of the high wage earners you actually fared better during the pandemic and we can certainly have a conversation about um you know those of us who were fortunate enough you know megan you and i are two of those people who could work at home not everybody can work at home not everybody can say you know what i can have all this flexibility you know if you're a nurse or if you're a doctor or if you're working in the local grocery store you know you don't necessarily have the same degree of flexibility. So, you know, there is something there and I should own my privilege in that regard because I recognize that I do have that privilege. 
Yeah, same here, Pauline. Um, you know, when I started teaching at St. Bonaventure, I, you know, this is like 2013, um, I, I did start out kind of like a hybrid model. Um, I'd go to the main campus and then I'd teach like, you know, one session online. And then I was moved up to the Buffalo campus, which was 20 minutes from my house. Uh, and then as the program transitioned online, um, that's where, you know, I've been ever since. And so it was interesting because when I moved to uh, the, the Tampa Bay slash Toronto, <laughs> this crazy uh, cross-border life that we have, you know, I remember having a conversation with our, our program director and she said, Megan, we don't care where you live. Like you're all online. It doesn't matter. So really nothing changed in, in, in regards for me. And then I've been, you know, running my marketing business out of my home since 2016. So really nothing changed for me. I mean, I've been, I was using instant cart to have my groceries delivered, you know, years before the pandemic happened. So like, again, like I'm so used to, you know, doing things a certain way, it's almost like I'm so much more prepared for it than most. So, uh, but you're right. You know, we're very privileged, you know, um, even, even my husband, he doesn't work half the year. He doesn't work during baseball season. So, um, you know, he was, we were able to kind of hunker down and operate the way we felt best. And, um, and, and I fully understand that, you know, not everybody is able to do that. Um, my brother's an optometrist. And so he was, you know, he's in people's faces all day. So you can imagine how, you know, he can't do that in his living room. So, um, <laughs> so you can imagine, um, you know, how that goes. And so, you know, there are, you know, I, I, I consider myself extremely fortunate that I don't have to go out and I don't have to, you know, I can keep myself safe and, um, kind of away from, you know, the public. Um, and yeah, so, you know, the, there's certainly a lot of other jobs that just don't have that luxury to, uh, to be able to operate in your, in your living room or your home office. And I should note that one of the things that I enjoy doing is just talking to people and getting their stories also. So throughout the pandemic, I was reaching out to people and asking them, you know, how is it going? So for example, I mean, I have good relationships with my, the medical professionals in my life, but also with like my hairstylist and with, you know, I, I connect with people at the local grocery store. I've mentioned that already. And I would just ask them, you know, how's it going? And thankfully they said, First of all, they were happy with some of the programs that the U.S. government put in place and, you know, the state helped to enhance, like the enhanced unemployment benefits and so on, really, really helped people during this time. And there is some talk uh, and there's some data. The data is just coming in now, but preliminarily, it looks like, um, you know, some of these states that ended the extra unemployment benefit did so because they thought, okay, we're having all these jobs that are now opening up. People aren't taking these jobs because we're still giving them all this money. But the data so far are showing that's not the case. And there was a fabulous article, and I'll link to this on the website. I posted it on my LinkedIn, written by Elisa Earl McLeod, whose text I use in one of my classes. And she said, please stop saying that people don't want to work. They do want to work. They just don't want to work for you. So mm -hmm. that's what we'll get into in part two of the podcast. We'll talk about some of those things. But I think it's important to note that we did put some things into place to really try to help people. And what the pandemic has also done is really shown us areas we need to focus on as a society so that we stop leaving folks behind. I mean, one of the things that I worked with because again, working online was no big deal for me. And I had to work with faculty colleagues 
who reached out and I was more than happy to help them who said, I've only ever taught face-to-face. I don't even know how to make this transition. And I would sit down and say, okay, here are some ideas. Let's talk about your class. What do you want to do? What are the outcomes that you want to achieve? And then we would put their classes together for them. And that was very gratifying for me too, but at the same time, incredibly helpful for them. But then we also saw, particularly with our students and some faculty, you know, I noted we're in a rural area boy, we don't have broadband access for some people. So if you're supposed to be home as a student and you don't have access to that, that really, you know, the pandemic really did show the haves and the have nots and a lot of the gaps that we saw. It did. And, and you know, speaking from like an online perspective, um, you know, in the classroom and Pauline, you'll probably, um, you know, have something to say about this as well. But the students were, I mean, you know, in, in normal times, it's the online programs can be very static, right? So, you know, you do your best to create videos, you do your best to, you know, appear as though you are a human and not a robot, just randomly grading stuff, right? So you want to make sure that your students know that there's a human element to it. But my students struggled, they really struggled. Um, you know, my, my class, uh, I usually teach three times a year. My first class started on March 25th of 2020. So you can imagine how scary that was. Um, and, and so having, showing that empathy through a computer screen is, is really difficult to do. Um, and, you know, they're dealing with, you know, their own health concerns. They're dealing with, you know, a job insecurity. They're dealing just with the general stress of, you know, childcare if, you know, cause we have a lot of uh, professional, um, uh, workers who are in our program. And so they're just dealing with a lot. And so I noticed, you know, a lot of my students just were really through that spring and summer, were just really, really struggling. And, um, and it's hard to, to, you know, just, it's one thing if you're in person, right? Because you're there and you can have these face-to-face conversations and, but when you're online, it just, it just removes that human element to it. So really having to step that up, step that up and also giving them context to what you're going through as well. Because again, that's, that's a connector, right? Because they want to feel connected to you. And that you understand. Um, I know during that first um, that first class, uh, my my brother, who's the optometrist, uh, he serves in the uh, Naval Reserves, and um, you know when his optometry practice kind of shut down for routine eye exams, um, you know he volunteered to go to New York, and that's when New York was a mess, oh. and that was just very very terrifying for uh, me and my family. Um, you know, he, as much as he tried to reassure us, like Megan, they take care of their own. I'm going to be okay. I'm in PPE all day long. Like it was, it was very terrifying. And I don't think I slept well for like, you know, six weeks until he came out home finally. But, um, so it's not just the students that are going through, you know, these stressors. Uh, it's also, it doesn't matter if you work from home or not. There are other stress factors that, you know, happen whenever you are either teaching or you're, you know, working from home. And so I think I, I, I certainly saw, at least in the, in the beginning, there was some empathy, uh, for everyone, for others, which was great to hear, no matter what your situation was. Um, but that, you know, obviously was short-lived as you know, (laughs) so it's like, well, and, and that's the one thing I know that we did as faculty, we tried to encourage other faculty. We said, you know, you might be pretty strict in class 
on a normal day, but if you could please try to be at least a bit more lenient because you don't know the circumstances of many of the students. So, um, and then you bring something else up too yeah. that, you know, we haven't necessarily talked about in, in terms of the great resignation, but, you know, you here you are, you're worried about your brother and there were still times, and I, I still think we have a bit of this now where we don't know this disease 100%. And it's really scary because you're not sure what right. the impact right. is going to be on your current health, but also the long-term health. And we have had a couple podcasts, those who are listening mm -hmm. just to this, we had a two-part series on COVID, the first part more about COVID, the second part about vaccines. And we had my colleague, Dr. Zhaoneng Zhang on talking about that. And we also had an episode talking about online learning. So please don't confuse emergency online teaching with true online learning. It's not the same. So I hate, I would hate mm -hmm. for students who had to be tossed into this situation thinking, oh my God, that's what an online program will be like, not even a little bit. So, I mean, please, you know, you can listen to that podcast as well. Now I want to talk about shift a little bit and talk about how the pandemic and how the great resignation is affecting Gen Z. Now I try to bring in information because Poor Bryce is at the mercy of whatever I decide, whatever data I decide to talk about. And he's such a good sport. He says he's learning a lot and he's actually interested, but I can read the body language. And sometimes I'm not sure, but Gen Z, we try and talk about Gen Z because he's a Gen Z, but he's on the cusp of being a millennial. So we, we had that conversation. Yeah, my older brother is five years older than me. He's technically a millennial. So we grew up with the same culture and technology and things, but I'm technically Gen Z on on paper, according to the, the birthday. There you go. And Megan, what are you a millennial or are you a Gen X? Oh, oh, oh I am an elder millennial, according to TikTok. Elder millennial. So like, <laughs> I am, I wow, am that sounds fancy. Gen X. So we what have, I know, well, it's interesting because, because I've, I've heard, so I was born in 1981. Right. And okay. so like, I'm, I'm hearing like old millennial, the Oregon trail generation, because we know a time without the internet and then we rely so heavily on the internet now. So we're in this weird kind of, um, kind of in a time in history. And um, so, so yeah, I've been called an elder millennial, old millennial Oregon trail generation. So I'm like at the very tip top of the millennial age. And I am very strongly Gen X. So mm -hmm. here's how Gen Z has struggled in the pandemic in the workforce more than other generations. Boomers haven't struggled as much. Um, and this is in terms of, these are the questions that were asked just so folks know. And this is part of the LinkedIn survey that LinkedIn did as well as the Microsoft, um, the Microsoft survey. So in terms of being able to bring new ideas to the table, Gen Z wasn't quite sure. They didn't feel as comfortable with that. Getting a word in during conference calls and meetings, they struggled with and feeling engaged or excited about work, they struggled with. Now, to be fair, the boomers, Gen X, millennials, and Gen Z all struggled with feeling engaged or excited, but the boomers and even Gen X didn't seem to have as much trouble bringing new ideas to the table or getting a word in during conference calls. But I can understand poor Gen Z is coming in, they're brand new. And if this is your first job, which for Gen Z it probably is, you know, you've got people who are more seasoned who maybe they don't understand the technology. And Saturday Night Live did a fabulous skit about Zoom meetings. I don't know if you saw that, Megan. I should link to that on YouTube. It is hilarious. The initial, oh my gosh. You'll it's wet so your funny. pants. It's so, it's so yeah. funny. I'm going to, I got to write that down. Hang on. I liked when they were talking about uh, the Zoom bombings, which a couple of those were issues. There was like hateful 
messages Ooh. or some at sometimes, but people were talking about it like it was there were there were like doomsday articles about Zoom bombings for people that didn't know about internet trolls. And all yes. the Gen Zs were just like, oh yeah, of course. Like, people are gonna <laughs> hop on here yeah. and mess with people yeah. because that's the way the internet works. And yeah. this is not secure. This is like a gold mine of a bunch of older generations that don't know the internet that well. <laughs> and then you've got your internet trolls that are just gonna hop on and and wreak havoc. And then poor Gen X and the boomers are like, can someone young help us figure out how to stop this? But the, right? the articles were like, people are speaking in to your your uh your meetings and and assaulting you with with pranks yeah. and it's like, okay, yeah. <laughs> you ever been on Twitter? Pauline, I'm glad you said something about um or, or presented data regarding um being engaged and speaking up. Um, because in my experience, and I'm sure we'll talk about this in part two, but in my experience, um, you know, I in the, the two corporate jobs that you know were predominantly part of early in my career, uh, I did experience ageism, and you know, there's this, and it drives me insane that there's this mentality that because you're young, you don't have good ideas. Because you're young, you have nothing to contribute. You should sit down, shut up, and learn from the more seasoned employees. However, however. When someone's iPad's broken, guess who? Yeah, exactly. And that nothing drives me more insane than that. And um, and that's why you know when I was building my team, uh, one of my corporate jobs, like they were all millennials. And you know, I I hate it when people bash millennials. I hate it when people do that and they're like, well, they're lazy and they are entitled and da 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 da. But at the same time, I built a team that worked so freaking hard for me. They had wonderful ideas and they were fun. And I mean, I loved my team. They were just absolutely incredible. Um, but but yet when they were, you know, invited to, you know, show share ideas and um, it, it's just like, well, that's a great idea, but we can't do it. There's always a no. It's always they were they were told no over and over and over again. And that to me is incredibly close-minded and it does demonstrate ageism. Um, And, you know, it's really unfortunate because again, like, oh, if somebody somebody can't work their Zoom or if they can't turn on a virtual background or if they can't order groceries online, guess who is coming in to help? Now they're the smartest person in the room, which is incredibly infuriating. So, yeah. We had we actually had a podcast about generations too, and I've said that as someone who's Gen X, it does it drives me crazy too because, and I hope I've never done this. I'll I'll turn to Bryce and uh, and ask him, but I mean there are so many times that I, when I've said to him, and I hope I've never treated you like I think you you're insignificant. No, I think but, we're pretty good. At yeah, not um, judging people by age. Oh my gosh, because guess what? I know what I know, but I also know what I don't know, and I'm going to be completely respectful of people who have that knowledge. I don't I care think, what your age. I is. think that's you know, the wise man is the man that knows, he knows nothing. That's the, to paraphrase Socrates, not to listen jump on to that. The, but listen to well, this, Megan. That I think about a lot is that you, it's, <laughs> it's a, it takes a wise person to stay curious and because you can learn from anybody. There's no, there's, there's always something that somebody else knows that you might not know. And that's foolish to think otherwise, whether it's someone who's younger than you or less educated, they have their own experience They've probably learned things from their experiences that you maybe haven't. And I think another thing with uh, the Gen Z's struggling in the workforce, um, I think this, the pandemic affected 
our social lives more because it was mostly high school age or college age kids where like the college experience didn't happen for a lot of people for the past year and a half. Maybe it was limited here. It was, it was, it was grossly limited and isolated, but for some people it was just non-existent. It was completely online. We were at least in-person classes, but really no extracurriculars or events, uh, no social gatherings allowed, but that decreased morale. And I think that's probably also why it was harder for people to speak up or be engaged about work because the social aspect of things took a toll on us. And that was traumatic for me and for, I think, for a lot of people. Well, it's funny, I have a colleague, I mentioned that I'm an introvert. So as I've said, this pandemic was almost ready-made for people like me. I have a colleague who is such an extrovert after about one day, she was ready to be, I mean, she could, she needed to go out to see people and she wanted to go out. She yeah. usually takes her laptop to the coffee shop and that's where she does her work. And I, that I can't even imagine doing that. That's not something I would do. And so, I missed those. I missed having conversations with cashiers at stores, like little things <laughs> like that. Just little bits of being able to be socializing. Yeah. yeah. I have a feeling that in it, when I was in college, if there was a pandemic going on, my grades probably would have been way better because I would have been going out less. I'm just going to guess. I would have been getting a pretty good GPA if that were the case. I think it's a double-edged sword because yes, there's there's distractions, but there's also kind of like the the reward or the motivation to work hard is that you get to, you know, blow off steam and celebrate with your friends. Right. Which, I, which I found really hard because uh, initially when we got sent home in March of 2020, it was like all of the fun part of college was gone. And then I was just yeah. stuck in my room at home, got up for class in my room. And then after that, I studied in my room and maybe I'd make an adventure to the living room or go for a walk outside. And that was my day. And we're yeah. going to talk about that in part two, because we're going to talk about the effect that working from home and working remotely had for a lot of people, you know, like Megan, you and I have said, it didn't change us a lot, but there are some companies that, and we'll save that for part, we'll save that for part two, because I want to wind down part one, talking about, um, and I've got a graphic here too, and again, from the LinkedIn research, as well as the Microsoft research, that business leaders did much better in terms of, um, of struggling during the pandemic than other folks did. So if you were a business leader versus whether you were married or a working mom or Gen Z or a frontline worker, um, you did much better in the pandemic. So um, I'm going to pause here with part one and I'm going to end us with an arse. And I think this arse, first of all, when I first thought about this and remember arse is an arbitrary random stat. Um, when I first thought of this, it didn't occur to me how actually it might be kind of appropriate and an interesting segue. So over the weekend, this past weekend, my niece is getting married in October and she said, she asked me what kind of wine she should serve at her wedding because she's not a wine drinker. And of course I gave her a text that listed all kinds of things. And I said, but I'm going to a happy hour and I can have folks, you know, I can ask them because she wanted to serve a particular boxed wine and boxed wines are getting fancier now. But then I thought about it when I was typing up the notes for this, that here we are talking about how depressing this pandemic has been <laughs> and how I think the instance, and I don't have these stats, but I could find them. Maybe alcoholism is on the rise. And here I am talking about wine as the arse. So it, I started thinking once she asked me about wine, um, what the most popular wines are in the U.S. And so I went to usawineratings.com. And does and do you guys want to guess which is the most popular wine in the U.S.? I couldn't name that many types of wine. And also I saw the list. So I yes. Oh, all right. I'll you go. Okay. And Megan, I know you're more a beer drinker. Do you drink wine too or no? 
Oh, I drink all the things. Okay. No. <laughs> okay. Do you, you have a guess? What do you think the most popular wine is in the U.S.? I'm going to say rosé. Thank you for playing. You are not correct. The number one wine is Cabernet Sauvignon. Mm. Yeah. Followed by Chardonnay. Yeah. And then in order to 10, Pinot Gris, Pinot Noir. Pinot Noir is one of my favorites. Sauvignon Blanc, Merlot, White Zinfandel, which is not rosé. White Zinfandel is actually horse urine. I don't know who's drinking that. Malbec, Riesling, and then Shiraz. Shiraz, I haven't even heard Love of. It. There it. you go. Pauline, I've got another fun uh, stat. What do you call it? The arse? arse yes, arse. you have an arse as well. Okay. I have an arse as well that kind of dovetails off of uh, your popular wine. Okay. Uh, this comes from alcohol.org. Okay. And the stat is one in three Americans are more, one in three Americans more likely to drink alcohol during working hours while in lockdown. Yeah. Okay. I have wine delivered to my house because I live in a very rural area. So I have, I had a drink while working. I'm not going to say that because people I, I am, might listen to this podcast. When, when I'm, when I'm doing St. Bonaventure work, no, when I'm doing my own work, absolutely. Truly was my jam during lockdown. So, you know, two o'clock, uh-huh all right yep. a nice cover we'll say that you well, did because, I don't, I mean, you know what when i do the podcast i'll drink but not when i do my saint bonaventure work after we're right, done right. recording we have dinner and wine yes so that's episode one so thank you to everyone for listening thank you to my producer bryce murphy who also wrote recorded the show music thank you to megan wagner who will be returning in just a minute Logo designed by Liam McGurl. For more information and to access the data discussed on this week's episode, visit datadoyen.com. Also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, and the links are on the website. This podcast is a production of Ratchet Boy Records. Listen to Ratchet Salon on all streaming platforms everywhere you find music. This podcast is sponsored by Wild Mountain Botanicals, Tippy Homestead, the Sparkworks Studio, Dog Nanny Originals, and the Heart Based Branding Academy. To sponsor, send me a message on the website. Thank you. 